0: The path to retirement is different for everyone. And as life changes, so do priorities. Fidelity can help you get where you want to go. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement. Whether you're saving for it or already living in it. Get started at fidelity.com slash take on. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member N Y S E S I P C SIPC. Uh, have everything in our control obviously. Um talked about running our own race, just doing that and, and staying committed to that and not looking looking around or waiting or fingers crossed on things to happen. Uh and, and I think we did that right. We didn't we didn't finish those last four games over that stretch the way we wanted to. Um well, I guess we finished it finished it the right way, but didn't it didn't lay out the way that we wanted it to. Um but ultimately in the end uh, we've got one game right here to go and win this division. Um, have a two-seed, and that that makes it a playoff game. That makes it a game, obviously, with a lot of implication. But
1: another game that this team needs that will just help us, um, obviously sets us up in the position for the playoffs, but also for us to have that playoff mindset as we've had for the last couple of weeks or so heading into uh, the action playoff.
0: Quite a coincidence there, Dak Prescott wearing the hat that shows 1960, the first year of the Cowboys during the break. Peter and I were talking about – That time for the NFL and the AFL and in Dallas, particularly it was the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL, the Dallas Texans of the AFL, which would eventually abandon Dallas and become the Kansas City Chiefs. But they did battle for the hearts, minds and wallets of folks in Dallas for three years. I believe it was three years, but because we were trying to remember what the early AFL was like and the AFL was kind of high flying and exciting and the NFL was stodgy and boring and the NFL realized. Football is more fun when the ball is being thrown all over the place, which is exactly what Dak Prescott has done this year, Peter. He's had a great season. The Cowboys are having a great season. And, you know, if you just hang around long enough, the Eagles stub their toe against the Cardinals, and now they've got the path to the number two seed, which makes it a lot easier to get to the NFC Championship for the first time since 1995, because you got two games at home to get there and you've won 16 in a row at AT AT&T Stadium.
1: I think the Dallas Cowboys are just a great example. When coaches say at the beginning of the year, some form of, listen, forget the outside noise, keep your head down one day at a time, Just get better 1% this week, this day, whatever. Just do that. It's a great sort of allegory for life, Mike. You know, like, don't get caught up in all the noise. Be the best that you can be. And I bring that up because the Dallas Cowboys were the highfalutin greatest team since Jimmy and Troy and Emmett and Michael when they flew into San Jose in week five of this season, they were the best team in football, even though they had already lost to, to Arizona. Everybody loved them. Everybody loved the Dallas Cowboys. And they got back on that plane, tail between their legs, having lost 42 to 10. All of a sudden, same old Cowboys. You guys stink. Can't beat the Niners. will never get out of the NFC. And all they did even though they had many, you know, questionable moments during the year, several questionable moments during the year, they just kept working. And Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn and that defense, you know, they just kept going and going and going. And all of a sudden now they're in line to get the number two seed to play two home playoff games in a place that maybe thanks to Brad Allen in a place that uh, you know they simply do not lose. So I give a lot of credit to the Dallas Cowboys. I have been uh, in the front row of people who've questioned them and have thought that there's just something missing there. And we may get to the end of the year and say there is something missing there. But let's give them credit for hanging in, hanging in, playing great when it counts, vanquishing the Eagles when they had to at home late in the year. And look, they're going to win this game going away Sunday. And I think they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for the team that they've become, especially after what happened in week five this year. At the risk of sparking another spirited discussion
0: that will throw this segment off the rails You mentioned Brad Allen, and you and I haven't talked about this. Where did you ultimately come down on what became the story of the week, a story that became much more consequential for both the Lions and the Cowboys when the Eagles lost the next day to the Arizona Cardinals and opened the door for the winner of that game from Saturday night to capture the number two seed?
1: Well, we'll start at the end of this story when Brad Allen walks away and says number 70 reporting is eligible. Number 70 is eligible. Meaning the last tackle on the roster pitcher who was running in late and so then the Cowboys line up. Why would they cover number 68? Why? There's no reason to cover Taylor Decker, the left tackle. Because Brad Allen has announced to the world that number 70 is eligible. It's heard on TV. It's heard uh, I, I heard it clear as a bell on the Cowboys radio network um, and, and again, if you're in the stadium maybe you don't hear it. If you're Dan Campbell and the players, maybe you don't hear it. But anyway, once that happened, there's no reason for them to devote one iota of energy to covering Taylor Decker, the left tackle. So for all those who say that the the Lions were robbed, I get it. I think this is 65-70% Brad Allen's fault. He was too much in a rush. But once he announced 70 was eligible, it's a free shot to Taylor Decker. Don't tell me that if they said 68 is eligible... And Brad Allen goes over to the Cowboys and says, 68 is eligible. Don't tell me that then Taylor Decker was going to catch the winning two-point conversion in a game that meant so much to both teams. So there's that. And I think the other part of this is, and look, Mike, I understand all is fair in love and war. But when Dan Campbell stands up and he says... At the end of the game, I told the officials about this. I don't doubt he did. Uh, I wrote it out for him. I showed him. Did Dan Campbell say, I'm going to send three offensive linemen at the ref at the same time? None of them, by the way, who are going to go here. None of them are going to make the obvious sign that I am eligible. Somebody said it, obviously. Brad Allen got it wrong, and he said number 70. So Brad Allen has most of the responsibility on his hands. I get it. However, Lions are not faultless here because Dan Campbell didn't say to the officials... Look, I don't know what he said to the officials, so scratch that. I doubt that Dan Campbell said to the officials before the game. And by the way... We're going to send three guys over to you because we're going to engage in subterfuge so that the Cowboys don't have any idea what it is we're doing. That's what I thought of it. Dan Campbell,
0: I guarantee you, did not do that. Because all he said is, I showed them the play the way I drew it up for our players. He did not say, I believe, to Brad Allen, hey, come here, Brad. You're going to like this, Brad. I got an idea. We want to fool the Cowboys on which guy's really eligible. So instead of the usual procedure where one guy comes to you and reports and does this, we're going to have three guys approach you, two from the east, one from the west. And when that happens, just so you know, 68's the guy who's reporting, not 70. It's always 70 who comes in as the jumbo tight end. It's not 70 this time. We want them to think it's 70. And, you know, it's kind of loud down there. Maybe when you say 68 is reported as eligible, they won't have heard you clearly. And in all the chaos, they'll cover 70 instead of 68. That's what we're going to try to do. Are you with us on this? I talked to Dean Blandino about it. He said there is no way in hell. He didn't say it that way. But he said there's no way the officials would go along with something like that. See, so they were trying to confuse the Cowboys. They successfully confused Brad Allen in the process. You got to own that. If you're going to play that game, right or wrong, and some would say it's wrong to do it, some would say it's fair, but if you're going to take that chance, you assume the risk that you confuse Brad Allen. When Dan Skipper goes straight for Allen instead of straight to the huddle, what's Allen supposed to think? They made this mess, and I just wish they would own it. But see, Peter, I think they're not owning it, and they won't own it because they like the fact, this vague sense that they got screwed because it gives them a little kick in the butt. It gets their fans riled up. They're buying billboards in Detroit. And I really wish the right thing to do here would be for Dan Campbell to say, uh, "to say okay, listen, we were trying to fool the Cowboys, and we did it too well. We fooled Brad Allen too. Because, no, even though I went over the play with them, I didn't tell them we're going to play a shell
1: game with the Cowboys over who's actually eligible. Yeah, and, Mike, I want to advance this story a little bit. You wrote the other day that uh, the NFL is not going to do anything about this. Basically, am I? I'm paraphrasing you. Is that? Is yes, that they're not going to change right? the procedures. Yeah, they're not going to change the procedures okay. like well, they did
0: after the Ravens Patriots just... game that we were at when they changed the procedures for. The ineligible guy who's wearing the eligible number can't line up in the slot. Remember they changed the procedures after John Harbaugh right. got sufficiently upset that as the Patriots believe he told the Colts about the deflated footballs, but that's a different story altogether. But they're not going to change any of the procedures.
1: I I will I will uh I'll just tell you this. There is a there is a segment because my whole point after this was This is a simple fix. You know what the fix is? That there can only be one line. The only person or people who can go during the course of a game to the referee to say that they're eligible are the ones who are actually eligible. You cannot send people who are not going to be eligible to the referee to try to engage in this subterfuge and any person who does that has to make the sign that they are eligible. Okay. And, and I've talked to two people now who think that the competition committee is going to consider this because it's a bad look. And, and here's why it's a bad look. Here's why it's the worst look. It is now six days after this game. We preview Sunday's games. We will spend more time on this game than on 12, uh, on that play that is six days old than on 11 or 12 of the games that are being played on Sunday, including some games with playoff implications. It is ridiculous. It is a simple fix and it's about making the game more honorable. And that's why I think that Look, I don't know that the NFL is going to do something, but I do know that there are some in the league who definitely want to do something because it is a simple fix.
0: Well, they sent out the memo on Tuesday that underscores the obligation of the person reporting to do it clearly with the hand gesture and verbally. And implied within that is, don't try to confuse the official. If you try to confuse the official, or more specifically the other team, you might confuse the official. So I don't think they need to change anything. They just need to reiterate this they is do. the rule. Now, what would, would they create no, you know they do need a to foul? Would, but yes. but the rule yes. already is it's all, it's the obligation of the player to make it clear to the referee that he's the one who's reporting, and that's what Dan Skipper seemed to be doing. You're suggesting, if I read you correctly, the possibility of making it a foul if you try to send yes. multiple guys to yes. the official in an that's attempt correct. to report. Okay. That's gonna be tougher like to enforce conduct.
1: because fifteen yards. That's that's why yeah, that's gonna why? be tougher to enforce. Why? What if three because guys go to I was if, just what, tying my shoe.
0: I wasn't going to the referee, no, I was just tying no. my shoe.
1: Mike, hey, Mike, Mike, Panay Sewell, Taylor Decker, and Pitcher went to the official. Clearly, all of them went to the official. None of them was tying his shoe. They went to the official. Uh, If that happens again, if that happens again, there should be an unsportsmanlike foul, unsportsmanlike conduct foul, because what they're trying to do is game the system. And in my opinion, it's an easy fix. That's all. And I don't disagree with that. And that's not
0: necessarily a change of the procedure. That's just a new consequence for anyone that might try to extend that quality of deception that is that is accepted. There are certain levels of deception in football that are embraced. You're rewarded by fooling the opponent. There are certain occasions where trying to fool the opponent really isn't fair. I mean, this is a mechanical process over eligible numbers, ineligible numbers. It should be fair to the defense when they walk up to the line of scrimmage that they know somebody who's wearing an ineligible number is actually eligible on the play. And it's, it's this guy, not this guy, or maybe that guy, or who the hell is it? We don't know. That's what the lines were trying to create. So we're in agreement on that. That needs to be out of the game. However they do it, that needs to be prevented. And, the Lions learned the lesson the hard way. That's what I want to get back to. I wish the Lions would just admit we tried to do it and it failed and it's on us. We didn't go over that part of it with Brad Allen ahead of time. We tried to fool the Cowboys and we fooled him and that's a risk we took and it's on us. But you're right. It's still relevant because the winner of that game is likely going to end up with the number two seed in the NFC. What a difference that is hosting the divisional round rematch between the Lions and the Cowboys instead of going on the road. And as, as I believed, we, we have sent the outline into a tizzy. The control room is cursing us even more loudly. than Lions fans <laughs> were cursing Brad Allen. We're going to take a
1: break and regroup, and we'll have more PFT Live right after this. They did not have an extended discussion about Brad Allen on the bingo card. Around any
0: corner, within every battle, Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a foxoliner, moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.
1: Do you want a beautiful lawn? back here in over the four years, what are you most proud of? What um, we've well, done with the culture.
0: I, I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, somebody asked me the same question. I said, you know, the biggest thing more than anything else I think is I kind of like where we are. Um, you know, it's uh, obviously it's not where we want to be, but, uh, you know, that's just the nature of this game sometimes. Well, I'd like to think we're, we're in a better place. It's probably a better, a, a fair way to say it. Um, I, I I most certainly do appreciate my time here and and um, you know,
1: we'll see what happens. And again, we'll we'll focus in on what's uh, what's coming first on Sunday, and that's uh, getting ready for Dallas.
0: Ron Rivera, Commander's coach before that Panthers coach, two- time NFL coach of the year. He knows what's coming. We all know what's coming. Ron Rivera will be replaced. Martin Mayhew, the GM will be replaced. Jason Wright, the president of the team most likely will be replaced. New owner Josh Harris and company, even though Irvin Magic Johnson doesn't own a huge percentage, he's regarded as a very prominent member. I feel like the house cleaning is coming. You're shaking a finger that you may disagree with me.
1: No, 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 no. I think you're absolutely right. A house cleaning is coming, and it should, and Josh Harris deserves to hire who he wants to hire. I, all that. I just wanted to make one point about Ron Rivera. You know what I'd do if I were Roger Goodell? Once Ron Rivera gets fired, give him a couple of days, say next Thursday or Friday, give Ron Rivera a call. Hey, Ron, how would you like to join our effort to improve the level of minority coaching and uh, minorities in the front offices around the NFL? And give him the responsibility of being the guy who has been there. With all due respect to those, you know, with the process right now, led by Troy Vincent. The fact is, it hasn't gotten done. And I think Ron Rivera, who doesn't like Ron Rivera? Come on. I mean, you know, who doesn't respect Ron Rivera? So he lost games. That's the way life goes. All these coaches, they're all going to get fired. Bill Belichick might get fired Monday. But I'm saying that Ron Rivera would be a perfect advocate for m- more minority representation higher up on coaching staffs and in front office. Roger Goodell, just do it. And whether
0: it's that or something else, I still feel like there's a place for Ron Rivera if he wants to continue in the NFL. It just works out this way, and he's lived it already. When the Panthers were sold by Jerry Richardson to David Tepper, it's just a matter of time before Tepper hires whoever it is he wants to hire. Same thing with Josh Harris. That's the way it goes. When the team gets sold, it's completely out of your control. Ron Rivera has done very good things with the commanders. He was instrumental behind the scenes in convincing Daniel Snyder that the time had come to abandon the dictionary defined slur. I don't want to relitigate that, but he was instrumental in that process. And most, most, I don't know, 51%, I don't know in these, who, who the hell knows. But I'd say a lot of people agree it was the right thing to do, given the fact that that name had kind of become what it became. You were a big advocate of that for years as well. Ron Rivera makes that happen, or at least helps make that happen. So, yeah, the football victories weren't there. It's hard when ownership is in disarray. He held it together, and the job is now finished, and they move forward. I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know who they're going to hire. I don't know what they're going to try to do, Peter. I was told back in October, keep an eye on the possibility the commander's trying to trade for Bill Belichick at the end of the season, and so I'm still keeping an eye on that but I don't know what they're going to do. And I don't think they know what they're going to do. Although plenty of owners go into the process and this speaks to your point about minority hiring too many owners go into the process already knowing what they're going to do. So everything they do to get there is just window
1: dressing. They already know where they're going to end up. And, you know, look, I think it'd be easy for people to say, Hey, you know, what about Eric B enemy? This would be perfect for them. Uh, because Eric Biennium, is a guy who's come in, he's kind of stabilized that team. And and I would just say two things. It's very hard for Josh Harris or any owner after they just simply haven't won in forever. It's very hard to say, okay, we're going to take somebody from this staff, no matter how popular he is in the locker room or in the building, and no matter how much of a leader he is, It's just very hard to take somebody in-house and do it. And plus, Mike, it'd be one thing if Washington was third in the league and if Sam Howell had turned into a young Andrew Luck or something like that. But the fact is, they're looking to replace Sam Howell. They're 21st-rated offense in football. It just, Eric B. Enemy probably wouldn't be a good fit there. Not that he wouldn't be a good fit somewhere else, and I do hope he gets multiple interviews to try that
0: and that process for him has been an annual effort that has resulted in no opportunities to be a head coach I think he ultimately believed he needed to leave Kansas City to show what he could do in Washington is it enough we'll see once they start filling up the jobs before they can fill the jobs we have to know how many there will be we've had our eyes on New England most of the season this for me goes all the way back to March when Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, was speaking to reporters, and he didn't really say it directly, but it was strongly implied, Bill Belichick's got to win this year, or that's it. So here they are, last place clinched in the division for the first time since Belichick's first season. Their best outcome is going to be 5-12 and 12 if they win on Sunday against the Jets. This is very closely guarded, and I'm not sure they even know what they, they're going to do. I've been using the metaphor for the past week of Robert Kraft going skydiving, Is he going to jump out of the plane when the time comes? I don't know that he's going to, Peter, because for all the flaws and the warts on Bill Belichick, the guy still is special in many ways. And before you throw out a guy who is a great game-day coach, a great preparer of teams to go out and play their best strategically and athletically and emotionally and spiritually, before you move on from that guy – you better be damn sure you're going to get somebody better on the back end. And why not Why not use this as an occasion to try to get him to address some of the things that you regard as flaws? And maybe he will. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. I just think there's a lot to be determined when Bill Belichick breaks through from that laser focus on what's next, what's next. And once the last game is played, you know what's next? Let's sit down and figure out what we're going to do next year. So I think a lot of this is still to be determined.
1: Well, Mike, I think it's still to be determined, but it will be an upset if Bill Belichick is the coach of the Patriots a week from today. And, you know, at some point, you just have to say, honestly, time to move on. Tom Brady said it. He wasn't getting the love from Belichick. I think Belichick felt it was time to move on. Now, four years post-Brady, if the Patriots win this week, or let's forget if they win this week. Four years post-Brady, they're nine games under 500, have not won a playoff game. This will be the fourth straight year without a playoff win. Have not developed a modern offense. Have no quarterback of the future. And so, now you ask yourself this question. What if... Robert Kraft on Monday or Tuesday says to Bill, tell me your plans for the offense. And if Bill, I guarantee you, Bill's not going to say, I plan to look at the Sean McVay tree and take a great young offensive mind and bring him in here and hand him the reins of the offense. And I plan to take a new look at at our player personnel department. I'm going to hand Elliot Wolf the the reins to be general manager and he'll have final say on the draft. So all I'm going to do is put together the game plan and coach this team and I'll leave the offense to the new guy. Mike, the chances of that happening are fairly slim. And in my opinion, I think Robert Kraft wants a breath of fresh air. I think Jonathan Kraft, his son, wants a breath of fresh air. And so... I think the best thing for everyone concerned is to shake hands, issue a united front, have a lovely press conference next Thursday, and Bill says thank you to the Crafts. They hug, they part. The Crafts don't hold them hostage. Don't try to get a a two or a three for them. That's beneath them, honestly. I think, I don't think they should trade them. I think they should say to Bill, hey, Bill, thanks a million, but you're free to go and do whatever you want and coach wherever you want. And I think that's how it should end. I don't know how I think it will end because Belichick obviously is a stubborn guy. I think the Crafts can be stubborn. So again, I don't know how it'll end. I do know this. My only hope, and you're right about this, is that Robert Kraft is a sentimental human being. He wanted Tom Brady to retire, um, you know, a Patriot. And if he could find some diplomatic way to do that with Bill Belichick, to get the record in New England with some concessions on how the team is run, I think Kraft would listen, but I doubt sincerely that's going to happen. And I think it makes it easier for Kraft to move forward
0: believing that he did everything in his power to try to salvage the relationship and didn't just say, that's it, it's done, 5-12 and 12 is unacceptable. No, we we see some good and we see some bad. And if there's a way to iron out the bad, we could still be pretty good over the final years of Bill Belichick's career, however many years he has left as a head coach. Who knows? He's in his 70s. He said at one point he's not going to coach until he's seventy. So it becomes at a certain point who you are and you can't envision your life without that. And I, I imagine he'll keep going and, and I agree with you. I hope they don't try to play this game of taking it slowly. And there are some in the media who are pushing the idea that it's going to take a few weeks, wink, wink, nod, nod. They're going to wait for the phone to ring so they can trade him to the commanders or trade him to this team, trade him to that team. That to me, that's not the right way to separate. The right way to separate is to say right. we're going our separate ways. We're, you go forward, we go forward. We're tearing up the contract. We don't owe you anything. Go get your $20 million from someone else. We're not going to hold you hostage. We're not going to force your next team to give us draft pick compensation. You go, we go. Thanks for the memories. I hope that's what the outcome is. Instead of a game that gets played where the Patriots think they're going to get they're cake and they're going to get to eat it too. where we want to move on from Bill Belichick. And we're also going to get a high draft
1: pick for moving on from Bill Belichick. It just makes the most sense, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And look, the fact all year that relatively speaking for such a huge story that we've heard very little that, We can take to the bank and look with all due respect to Tom Curran, his report a few weeks ago. I think Tom Curran is probably right, but I, I, I don't, I don't know for sure that that is correct. And I think the two sides, especially Belichick, honestly, have done a pretty good job in putting a cap on this, this bottle and just saying, we'll worry about this when we have to. Belichick said it this week on uh, his radio show with Greg Hill up in Boston that uh, I've gotten... This is the way I've been my whole life. I worry about this game. I don't worry about what happened four years ago. I don't worry about what's going to happen in two years. I've always worked this way. And Mike, I was putting together some thoughts for something on my column this Monday on Belichick, and... I'm just going to tell you two things that, as I have been thinking about it, you probably know, and most people, maybe not many, will know, I don't know, but Bill Belichick, this is his 49th year as an NFL coach. I mean, think about that. And do you realize the first game of his first year in 1975, He was Ted Marchabrota's basically personal assistant, you know, sort of a gopher, as he later described it, with the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts went to Chicago, and in the first game that Bill Belichick ever was a coach in the NFL of any sort, was Walter Payton's first game in the NFL. Wow. Wow. And by the way, Walter Payton... Eight carries, zero yards (laughs) in his first game. And for some reason, the omen of that just really, really hit me as you've looked at some of the great Belichick moments over the years. I'm sure he had nothing to do with the defensive game plan that day. But isn't it interesting? You go, you know, you sort of fast forward. You look at the Super Bowl against the Buffalo Bills January 20th. Uh, 1991, when he puts together this incredible game plan, holds the Bills to 19 minutes. Uh, they 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 basically stuff Jim Kelly. They win 20 to 19 on the miss, Norwood kick. But he's had a lot of great defensive moments over the years. And I was just thinking about how incredible all that is. But do you, I, you may not remember this, but 20 years ago, I did a long story on Belichick back in the days when we were speaking. I did a long story on Belichick, and I'll never forget one of the things he said to me when we were just sitting around one day talking, and he said to me, because I said, man, you know, kind of a dour guy, you seem humorless, you seem this, and he goes, look, Look how I grew up in this game at the Naval Academy, watching my dad, you know, that was serious business and everything was all serious. When he was 11 years old, he's one of Roger Staubach's practice receivers in 1963. And, and so, but, but anyway, I just mean to tell you that he said, this is how I've grown up in the game. This is who I am. This is how I learned football. So to me, everything about Belichick, honestly, I think dates back to his days growing up in, an, in Annapolis, Maryland. And whatever happens to him next year, he, he deserves it all, honestly, because he's been so great for the game. And you can say that, okay, you know, the, the, the Spygate thing and, and all that stuff. And look, all of it is fair game. All of it is fair game. But on balance, guys had a pretty incredible 49-year NFL life. And as it, we got to take a break, but as it relates to his next step, don't
0: fall into the trap of looking at the non-playoff teams. Next weekend there'll be six games. Next weekend, six playoff-quality rosters will exit after one round, and if that exit happens because the coach did the kind of dumb thing that Bill Belichick would never do, that may plant the seed. For somebody to say, you know what, we could get to the top of the mountain with this roster if we had Bill Belichick as our head coach. So keep that one in mind. Don't get caught up in the commanders. Don't get caught up in the chargers. Don't get caught up in any of these other teams that are non-playoff teams that are going to be looking for coaches. Keep an eye on playoff team that has a failure that traces to the coach that's where the opening could be for bill belichick next year we need to take a break when we return can the packers avoid another lambeau field week 18 meltdown and miss the playoffs this year could they make it that's next year on pft live The in comes down to a snap
1: and golf is looking to throw it he throws it off oh, to the first down by dj Chark, and you can hear the all the way in seattle The Lions have come into Lambeau, and they've knocked the Packers down and out.
0: That was the game that firmly put the Lions on the map as a contender for 2023, and it ended Aaron Rodgers' time with the Green Bay Packers. Fast forward, week 18, Packers hosting the Bears. The Bears trying to cement their status as a contender for 2024. They've come around. They've looked good. The Packers... Up and down this year. But Jordan Love, Peter, a great opportunity to distinguish himself from Aaron Rodgers. Win and in this year, something Aaron Rodgers wasn't, was unable to do last year. Surely Jordan Love is well aware of that opportunity to do something that his predecessor failed to do and propel the Packers into the playoffs and and at least buy him a couple more years to get to wherever his ceiling is. They throw quarterbacks out so fast in the NFL now, and there was talk at one point this year, Jordan Love was only going to get one year. He's earned another. He may earn another one after that if he can get the Packers to the playoffs. Minimum of another one after that if he gets the Packers to the playoffs this year.
1: Whoever said Jordan Love was only going to have one uh, one year, first of all, had no idea what he, she is talking about He was never only going to get one year, unless he played like, you know, uh, uh, yeah. There was was a moment where
0: there was a moment where you got a vote of confidence from Mark Murphy. There was a Peter, Peter. There was a moment where it was tenuous. I'm not saying it was going to happen. There was a moment where it was feeling tenuous. There was.
1: It might have felt I think tenuous. Mark Murphy
0: said I think but Mark Ryan Murphy Goodkins. said
1: something like
0: the rest of this season is critical for Jordan Love. There was some sort of statement that felt loaded like wow, hey, uh-oh, if he doesn't get it together, who knows
1: what they're going to do next year. With all due respect to anybody who thought there was a chance there wouldn't be a second year for Jordan Love and most likely a third year Uh, I say I firmly, ardently disagree with you and there's nothing you can tell me about any press conference or anything that could convince me otherwise. Having said that, in the last half of the season, Jordan Love has had five or six very good games. Maybe not five or six games at the highest level of Aaron Rodgers. But as you look at it, six of his last seven games, uh, he's had over a 100 passer rating. Uh, his interceptions are way down. Mike, this is a guy who understood in midseason that he was being careless with the ball. And in the last seven games, he's only thrown one pick. So to me, I think he's gotten better as the year has gone on. And he enters next year. As a rock-solid guy, and if you're the Packers, you have to say, regardless of what happens on Sunday, regardless, you have to say that we are maybe not deliriously happy, but you have to say, first of all, we were right to pick Jordan Love when we did, and it's turned out as well as we could have hoped.
0: Brian Kunst was asked whether or not Love's future was uncertain upon the end of the season. He said, I hope not. I think we've got 10 games left. These are going to be a very important 10 games. What they've done with those 10 games has cemented his future. But, Peter, I think it's fair to interpret that quote as acknowledging it was at least tenuous for Jordan Love halfway through the season. Because it was. It was. And now it's not. To his credit, it's not. And this is his... Best opportunity to prove that he's capable of doing what Aaron Rodgers was not capable of doing last year and giving the Packers a playoff berth. What they do with it, who knows? But, Peter, they, they made the Vikings look like a JV team on Sunday night. We didn't talk much about that game earlier in the week because we didn't have a show on Monday. But, you know, the Vikings came into that game. They win that one. They win this weekend. They're in the playoffs. And they made the Vikings look like they had no business even being in the conversation. So uh, the Packers made that happen. The Packers are peaking at the right time and the Packers, I don't know how dangerous they're going to be in the postseason if they get there, but they're one of those teams that it would be very easy to overlook. And I think it would be a mistake to overlook
1: them if they get in. Without any question, Mike, when you have a quarterback who in the last half of the season, so his last seven games, he's 16 touchdowns, one interception and you know, So whatever happens on Sunday, he's going to play eight games the end of the season, and barring a disaster, he's going to have incredible numbers, some of the best numbers of any quarterback in football, maybe the best numbers of any quarterback in football over the last eight weeks of this season. And so what that tells me is the Packers right now, and again, look, Maybe they'll get in and maybe they'll shock the world. But again, right now, you know, Mike, it won't be a shock. You know, the only game that they stepped in it in the last month or so, right, is that Monday night game against the Giants. I mean, think about it. You know, that game was an awful game for not just for Rodgers, but for the Packers. It was awful. But they haven't had another one of those games in almost two months. So to me, I look at it and I just say, you know, if that defense plays even at a, you know, somewhere between an 8 and 12 level in the NFL, you know, between the 8th and 12th best defense, they're going to have a chance no matter where they go. And I even mean Dallas. I think they're going to have a chance against anybody in the playoffs. And it was the Packers and Aaron Rodgers who beat the Cowboys in the division round several years ago,
0: which was their best chance in Dallas to get to the NFC championship game. Maybe the Packers get a chance to do it again. We take a break. When we return our underdog picks for week 18, that's next here on PFT Live. All right. Time for the dog of the week. Who do we like? Either... Straight up that's favored to lose or throw in the points if you need to. Peter, who do you like?
1: It's an easy one for me, Mike. We talked earlier in the show. Give me Tennessee. Because I think Tennessee, with Mike Vrabel being a pit bull anyway and never, ever giving up and being like Herm Edwards, you know, you played to win the game. And you, you add to that what the motivation is going to be for uh, Derrick Henry in what could be his last game in Nashville as a Titan. I think Tennessee is going to beat a team that, quite frankly, hasn't been playing great anyway. So give me Tennessee over Jacksonville.
0: It's always a little risky to get into a game where both teams are playing for nothing. But Broncos, Raiders, I don't know why the Raiders are favored by three. I feel like this this vibe that the Broncos are giving off, this determination to finish above 500, Jarrett Stidham coming back to Las Vegas, Sean Payton's future is set, Antonio Pierce is tenuous, But Peyton feels determined, and there's a greater accountability in the locker room for the players when you know the coach is coming back, when you know absolutely positively. Now, the Raiders are trying to play Pierce into the position where he can come back, but I just feel like three points too much for the Raiders to give the Broncos. I think the Broncos are going to win that game outright just because Peyton wants to prove he's making the right decision to move on from Russell Wilson and move forward with, apparently, Jared Stidham, at least for now. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this season. New customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLIVE when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. When we return, the final show-me-something draft for the 2023 regular season. We'll be back with that right after this.
1: What was your uh, reaction when you saw the Pro Bowl rosters?
0: Yeah, uh, I was hot, um, but you know the the receivers that got picked, they're all great 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 players. But uh, I was hot. Yeah, except for you like the
1: the draft thing
0: back in the day. Uh, I guess. I mean, I was I was pissed. I mean, yeah, I guess I didn't do enough during the season, so I gotta go harder. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown apparently didn't show us something, at least enough something, during the <laughs> season. Before, but it's, a combination. it's a combination of fans, coaches, players, and hey, there's going to be snubs. I don't get too worked up about that anymore. I know some guys have incentives in their contracts and it's a point of pride, but they don't even play the game anymore. As we said for years, they shouldn't do. It still feels weird to announce these teams when you know they're just going to go play dodgeball or tug of war or obstacle course or flag football, whatever they're going to do. But you know what? They're going to keep doing it because they put it on TV and people watched it. So he does have eight 100 yard receiving games. He's tied with CeeDee Lamb and Tyreek Hill for the most in the NFL. You could make the case for Amon Ross St. Brown to be a Pro Bowler. He didn't make it. All right. Week 18, Peter. Show me something draft.
1: You are up, sir. Mike, there are a thousand show-me-somethings this week, but the biggest one is show-me-something, Jalen Hurts. I want to say show-me-something, Philadelphia Eagles, but I say Jalen Hurts because there are times when as the quarterback of the team and as the leader of the team, you have to come out and you have to play like it's the most important game of the year. And the Philadelphia Eagles have to play like this is the most important game of the year. Because very simply, their margin for error is zero. Not that this game means much of anything, really. But they have to play to try to get back on track so they're not going to be one and done in the playoffs. Show me something, Jalen Hurts. Show me that this season with the Eagles does not go up in flames.
0: Show me something, Baker Mayfield. I was disappointed by the showing from the Buccaneers collectively at home last weekend against the New Orleans Saints. It's very simple for Tampa Bay this weekend. Go to Carolina, one of the places where Baker Mayfield called home in 2022. Get the win and win the division and cement quite possibly a case for comeback player of the year and also a big contract either from the Buccaneers or someone else or worst case scenario franchise tag and $35 million, something we never thought Baker Mayfield would see again. He has brought himself to the brink of a complete turnaround. He's earned it. He deserves it. He's an opportunity to show us, his team and everyone that he belongs in the NFL. (coughs) You don't finish the job though, without going to Carolina, beating the Panthers and possibly getting David Tepper Mad
1: enough that he throws a drink on someone again. Show me something, Mason Rudolph. And look, the Steelers might not make the playoffs. In fact, odds are that they're not going to make the playoffs. But Mason Rudolph has done not a good job, but a great job in saving the Steelers season. And I don't care what anybody says about, well, the Steelers should win this game. Lamar's not playing, this guy's not playing, all these guys. Kyle Hamilton's not playing, all these guys. However, I'll just make one point about where the Steelers are right now. They have ensured the 964th consecutive non-losing season for Mike Tomlin, but they should be about more than that. They should be about going into Sunday, putting pressure on other teams right now, to make sure they do everything humanly possible to make the playoffs, that starts with Baker Mayfield at 4.30 Saturday afternoon Eastern time. Not Baker Mayfield, excuse me. I was thinking of Mayfield. That sh- that starts with Mason Rudolph. Show me something, Mason Rudolph. Beat Baltimore at the big crab cake.
0: Show me something, and I can't believe I'm saying this in the year 2023. Show me something Carson Wentz, second overall pick in the 2016 draft, got a big contract from the Eagles. That's a good one. Was on track to be the league MVP in 2017. He gets an opportunity. This is an opportunity. A guy who was forgotten, a guy who was overlooked, a guy who we periodically, you know, some reporter out there doing a favor for his agent, mentioning his name on a platform somewhere just so we all remember he still exists Finally, the Rams throw a flyer. He's a safety net behind Matthew Stafford. And now he gets a chance to start a game, gets a chance to play wire to wire, gets a chance to show that if Stafford would get injured during the playoffs, maybe he can come in and get it done. And it gives him an opportunity, Peter, to be a guy who doesn't have to wait until November next year to end up on a roster. Maybe he's a guy that gets an opportunity to go somewhere and compete right out of the gates in the 2024 offseason. It's on him. It's his chance. Show me
1: something, Carson Wentz. Show me something, Tua to Tonga Valoa. Now, Mike, just in case you don't know, there's a little bit of a difference on Wild Card weekend between hosting, let's say, the Indianapolis Colts and between traveling to Arrowhead Stadium and playing in a nice toasty eight degree Kansas City environment <laughs> So in part this is in Valoa's hands. he needs to score 30 points on Sunday. that's what he has to get in his head. We have to make plays even if we got a 14 point game 14 point lead early it doesn't matter. This game, in my opinion, is a classic situation of take the over. And I'm a guy who detests sports gambling. But there's going to be a lot of points scored in South Florida on Sunday night. Tua Tongavaloa has to make sure he does everything in his power to see that the Miami Dolphins win this game, win the division, and will be home on wildcard weekend.
0: Show me something, entire Minnesota Vikings organization. What we saw on Sunday night was an embarrassment in the home finale. It was a debacle. It was like the Vikings didn't even show up. Now, was it because they went with Jaron Hall instead of Nick Mullins at quarterback? That may have something to do with it. But this team has been sinking down the stretch. Three straight losses. They almost beat the Lions on Christmas Eve. They have a chance to go into Detroit and get a win. And there is... A strange sort of way that the planets line up, and it's not all that crazy. Vikings win. Packers lose to the Bears. Not crazy. Seahawks lose to the Cardinals, based on the way the Cardinals and the Seahawks played last weekend. Not crazy. Saints lose to the Falcons. Not crazy. There is—very well done. Very well done. There's a chance that the Vikings get in and go to Dallas and get destroyed next weekend. But just for pride— the past three weeks have been bad for the Vikings. Sunday night was the low point. You don't want to have your low point on New Year's Eve. This is a chance to restore a little pride. They got a 3% chance of getting in. It's not all that crazy that they earned the right to go to Dallas and lose 40-3 to to the Cowboys. But they, they just need to have a closing argument to the season. Better than what we saw on Sunday night. Don't get killed in Detroit. At least make it close, at least make it interesting, and maybe win the game. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Well, since it's the last week of the regular season, we got a bonus round for Show Me Something. Peter, who you got?
1: Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Look, we don't even know if he's gonna play for sure. But you have to figure, after being limited in practice Wednesday and Thursday, that he's going to give it a go. And again, look, I don't mean that this—I don't mean this a referendum on the future of Trevor Lawrence. Whatever happens Sunday, he's the quarterback of the long term. However, Trevor Lawrence since Halloween, ten touchdowns, eight interceptions. Uh, you can't put it all on injury. At some point, the franchise quarterback has to play like the franchise quarterback. Hopefully. Sunday in Tennessee. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Show me something, Kyler Murray. This
0: week, Cardinals coach Jonathan Gannon said there's no doubt Murray will be back next year. They got a chance to knock out the Seahawks. They made things uncomfortable and beat the Eagles last week. Maybe they can do it to the Seahawks on Sunday. Show me something, Kyler Murray. That's it for today. Enjoy the games. See you Monday.
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life.